Do you know that you're supposed to keep living at the table with Jesus? You're supposed to remain at the table. You're not supposed to get up and walk away. You're supposed to live in relationship with Jesus in such a way that it is as if you are seated at a table sharing a meal. We live every day, every moment seated at the table with Jesus. Hello, you've tuned in for a sermon from one of our preaching team here at C3 Church Victory. We're a home for hope located in Newcastle, Australia, but you can connect with us online wherever you are. Head to our website, c3churchvictory.org.au for more info. I got, I got a really, really exciting message this morning. I believe it's exciting. I don't know about you. Um, we're kicking off a new series, which is great. We had a little, uh, little mini-series, a little like, two-week readjustment. This is where we're going as a church, let's remember. It's been six months since we launched it at Vision, and we just, who knows that six months down the track, those sorts of things fade, and we need a little readjustment, remind ourselves what God spoke over our community and uh, what He was saying uh, to, to speak into and to go after. And so two weeks of realignment, reminding ourselves that we are actually supposed to be living on purpose, on a mission in every space that we operate, in all the contexts that God has uh, blessed us with, whether it's a job, a family, a relationship, whatever it is, we should be on mission. And uh, it's a good, good little reminder. But now we sort of shift gears because we are, we're aiming towards Easter. Who knows Easter's on the horizon? Hot cross buns are already in the supermarkets. Thank you, Jesus. Easter eggs are there. I just, I love the way they put them right at the door. So when I take my kids, the first thing they see is the Easter eggs. And they're, they're starting there. They're like, I want that one or that one. But uh, we are heading towards Easter. And traditionally, what that means is that as a church, we are in a season called Lent. We talked a bit about Lent last year. And I'm not, you know, I'm not at the point where I'm like, hey, let's, let's lock in 40 days of prayer and fasting. Um, we might get there one day, we'll see. But uh, for those of you that are interested, Lent started on Wednesday, just gone. Uh, and, and so it's a season of preparation. It's a season where uh, we intentionally put ourselves in a mindset of getting ready for the moment of Easter. Getting ready for remembering that moment where Christ went to the cross for us. And there is a whole lot of things that we can choose to focus on in the lead up to Easter, all right? For instance, the A-League is coming to the pointy end of the season. We could focus on that, and, and it wouldn't be a great thing to focus on because the Jets are playing really badly. And I try to pray for them, but I lose hope. And so that's all right, though, because there's another season next year, amen? There's a new day. God's mercy is a new every day, and uh, we will believe again uh, for a better season. But there's all sorts of things that we can focus on in life. We can get focused on our finances. Who knows that the media would love to have you focused and fixated on finance at the moment. I cannot open my news app without finding some article that is about the cost of living pressure at the moment. Uh, and it is a reality. Let's not, let's not just sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist. But we can focus on it or we can intentionalize our focus somewhere else. And I think sometimes we get sucked into a misunderstanding that we just need to focus on whatever we're told to focus on by the things that are being put in front of us in the lives that we lead. But the truth is that as believers, uh, one of the, the things that we read consistently through Scripture is actually that we have been told to choose what we focus on. 
we have a choice to be dictated to or to decide ourselves. And this is part of the journey of maturing as a disciple is to actually make a choice to shift our focus away from the things that are being put in front of our eyes and our ears and uh, constantly and decide to switch our focus. So maybe in the lead up to Easter, you want to make some choices to maybe not spend as much time putting yourselves in situations and circumstances where you are confronted with the things that the world will tell you to focus on. Maybe get off social media for a while. Maybe watch less TV for a while. Maybe delete the news app for a season so that you can allow yourself some space to focus on things like your relationship with Jesus in the lead up to Easter. You guys are really quiet this morning. Can we, can we not be so quiet? Because uh, I get awkward when you're quiet. I'm like, oh, you guys are not enjoying this morning and, you know, Anyway, let's get into today's scripture, 2 Samuel 9, 1 to 13. It's been a long time, I feel, since I've preached out of the Old Testament, so this is going to be great. 2 Samuel 9, it says, One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, it's a great baby name if anyone's looking for one, who had been one of Saul's servants, where Emily and Isaac, Zeba, I'm tabling it for consideration. Yeah, Zeba Lindgren. It's got a ring to it. Are you Zeba, the king asked? Uh, yes, sir, I am. They're speaking to me from the womb. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. That is such a powerful statement. That David's actions as king are dictated by a motive to show God's kindness to others. I think think we can get a little bit selfish in our Christianity sometimes. I think we can get caught up and, and we can be sold a slight lie, a slight deception that the rest of our Christian journey, once we're saved, is is actually all about me and my transformation. And so my focus is on me. And I think we forget that our focus is supposed to be outward. I feel as though actually that we should trust God with our transformation and focus more on what he's called us to do, which is to share the gospel with those who haven't heard it. There is a trap that we get into in Christianity, and it's a trap of self-transformation. And it consumes us. And here's a news flash for you that you won't find this on ABC News app or news.com. You are never going to finish transformation this side of the grave. Doesn't happen. However, we have a limited time to allow the kingdom of heaven to come through us and impact the lives of others. We have a limited time to spread the gospel. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. He's in Lodabar. Everyone say Lodabar. Lodabar. That's the place where limbo was invented. 
Sorry. Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> oh, see, I got three kids. I'm approaching 40. It's all downhill, guys. My humor is on a quick descent. Uh, Ziba told him at the home of Makir, son of Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son. I did practice that name quite a lot. All right, I hope you appreciate the pronunciation. Uh, Saul's, he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied. Sometimes I wish they just put one of those tricky names in once, and then they just said he. That would be heaps easier. I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show kindness to a dead dog like me? You know, we live in a world where people have such a low perspective of themselves. We live in a world where people's self-image is lower than it's ever been. People's self-confidence is lower than it's ever been. We live in a world where, where childhood anxiety is at an all-time high. And here we have Mephibosheth articulating what is resonating in the hearts of so many people. Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm a failure. I don't measure up. I'm this. I'm that. I'm not this. I'm not that. Who am I to deserve anything? And the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given you, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Well, side note, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. Imagine if that was our response to Jesus all the time. Um, that would be amazing. Uh, I will do what you have commanded, not you will do what I have commanded. Uh, and from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem, and ate regularly at the king's table. Incredible story. Wild story, really. I mean, I mean, it's actually, if you want to have some fun Bible reading, it is sandwiched between some of the most gory and violent uh, recounts of battles in all of the Old Testament. It's great. You've got people like, and we won't go into it, but um, yeah, if you want some exciting Bible reading, go and read uh, the, the passage beforehand and the one after. Uh, it's full of gory battles. You'll love it. But um, I don't know if you've ever had an experience in your life that's sort of left you crippled, uh, we're not getting into the deep stuff too early. I'm talking like surface, like you've hurt yourself. I rolled my ankle uh, uh, just after Christmas. It was a crippling experience. Uh, I was on crutches. Um, I don't like crutches, I've decided. Um, I ended up bruising my hands. Maybe it's just 
you know, because I'm a little too heavy, but that's all right. Um, but I do remember uh, in my teenage years, uh, something that, that crippled me uh, quite badly. I thought I'd share it with you, who's interested in a little story, like how did Pastor Nate hurt himself as a teenager story. Um, so I grew up in Port Macquarie, had a, had a stepbrother, a best mate, and the three of us used to get up to some mischief. And um, we lived not so far away from uh, a beautiful beach, Lighthouse Beach, and down the end of Lighthouse Beach is these amazing sand dunes. And we spent a fair amount of time down those sand dunes learning how to do flips and all sorts of things as you do as teenagers. And one day we thought, you know what? We're going to go sandboarding. Let's make sandboards, because we went to the surf shop and they were super expensive and, and we were teenagers and had no money. So we're like, easy, let's make them. We got some old skateboard decks. So, you know, we're going to get a skateboard deck. We're going to work out how we strap our feet onto a skateboard deck, okay? And uh, we went through a number of permutations of different straps and, and things and sketching them out and working it out. And eventually we landed on the idea that we would use the, the reef sandals with the three straps, right? Because you know, like you need, you need the, the, the three strap binding for secure, because we weren't just sandboarding. We were like, we were going off jumps and all sorts of things. And we're like, well, we can't attach them from the bottom in any way, because that's, that's going to create drag, and we don't want drag, we want to like, you know, slick sliding surface on the base of the, the skateboard deck, and so we're like, well, we, okay, we'll attach them from the top, and, and we tried glue, and obviously it wasn't strong enough, because like as soon as you move your foot, it like snapped off, and we're like, something stronger than glue, and we're like, let's screw them onto the, sandboard, onto the skateboard deck, we're like, genius, that's a genius plan. Okay, um, and so we got the two reef sandals, and we're, we're screwing the, the sandals in, and of course, you don't want the screws to come out the bottom, so we're not like screwing them all the way down, just screwing them enough that they're holding the, 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 the reef sandal, uh, so they can't spin and come off, okay? It was a fine balance, all right, and, and we got it, and we're testing them out, we're in there, and we're like, this is genius, they're not moving, we're going to have an amazing time, and so then we, we, we pack them all in the car, we drive down, and from the car park to the sand dunes, it's probably like a 15-minute sand hike, okay? Like you're hiking in over the back dunes to get to the dunes that you want to sandboard in. And so we were young, and we had lots of energy, so that was, that was fine. We got in there, and we were pumped. We were sitting at the top of the dune that's got like maybe, I don't know, about a meter drop, and then it goes steep. And we were like, we're going to jump off. We're going to do like a method grab. I'm all over that. And... Um, and then we're going to land, we're going to slide, it's going to be so good. We got like the camera all set up, like the handheld little like video camera, because we were making footage everywhere we went. We thought we were going pro at something. And, um, and so we strapped on, and I was going first. And I was pumped. I'm, I'm going to go so big, it's going to be ridiculous. And so I, I'm sitting on the edge, and I strap the sandals in, and I'm standing up, and I'm ready to go. And I launch, I launch as, like, as hard as I can, I'm big grab, and I come down, I land. And as I land, the reef sandals squish. They take all of the pressure, and they squish down. I don't know, I mean, I don't know, I didn't see how far they squished, but they squished, okay? They squished, and the screw heads did not squish, okay? And so the reef sandals squished, and my feet went down with the reef sandals, and they went down, and the screw heads went well, they felt like they went up, but they just didn't move. My feet just went down over the screw heads. And I created a beautiful set of six circular holes in the bottom of my feet. All right? Needless to say, we didn't try that technique after that. 
But from that point on, I was crippled. I had to walk that 15-minute hike back over the sand dunes with blood coming out of my feet and sand getting in the holes. And look, I don't need that much sympathy. I was 17. I was, I was, pretty, I was pretty dumb, and you know, they healed pretty quick. So, but I don't know if you've had an experience like that where you're just like young and doing something, and you come away not being able to walk for a week, crippled. This is my poor way in which I relate to Mephibosheth's story, uh, not, you know, not being able to walk. His was somewhat more dramatic. Um, you can actually, you can read some of the background to Mephibosheth's story. Uh, earlier in Samuel, you've got this, this guy who is the son of Jonathan, uh, David's best friend. Jonathan, who if you read in scripture, was ultimately the the heir to the throne. He was Saul's son. Saul, the first king of Israel, had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan is in line to be the next king. That's how it works. That's how, you know, uh, royal families work. First one's in line. Um, But but God had, had other plans, okay? But needless to say, Jonathan and David, they became great friends, um, and then Jonathan has a son. His name is Mephibosheth. And so this guy, he's not, just, he's not just a random character in Scripture. He's someone of significance, someone of uh, royalty, uh, someone who would have grown up in the palace. And what we find is that right at the point in time where there was a lot of fighting, a lot of battles going on, both Jonathan and Saul die in the same moment, same day, on the battlefield. And it occurs a little earlier in Samuel 2, Samuel 4. It says, Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old. So this situation occurs a long time earlier in Mephibosheth's life. And yet when we meet him, he is still suffering from the circumstance. He's still suffering from the result of something that happened to him when he was five years old. Something that he had no control over. It says that he was five when the report came in from Jezreel, the battlefield. Someone rides back to the, to the palace and lets them know, hey, we're going to let you know both Saul and Jonathan have died. The king and his son have died. Guess, guess who would have been in line for the throne. Well done. You all said it so loudly and so confidently. <laughs> Mephibosheth. If Saul dies and Jonathan dies, then, then Jonathan's son is effectively about to be king. He's in line to be king. Mephibosheth is in line to be king. And who knows that when you're a five-year-old king, your life is in immediate danger. Because anyone else in the entire kingdom wants a throne, knows all they need to do is kill you, and there's no more lineage left, and there is a new person about to come onto the throne. And so you know what? Mephibosheth's nurse, she gets it. She's there, she's there because she understands the situation. The You've got to look after him. He's in line to the throne. Don't let anything happen to him. The report comes in. They've both died. She's like, okay, this is serious. We've got to get out of here. And so she picks him up. It says the child's nurse heard the news, and she picked him up and fled. And as she's running, as she hurries away, carrying him, no one's ever done this as a parent, right? Just so we're clear. It says that she dropped him. (laughs) That was my wife, in case anyone's wondering. (laughs) She dropped him and he became crippled. 
And so here we have Mephibosheth, who is suffering from a tragedy, an unfair situation. Through no fault of his own, he suddenly, for the rest of his life, can't walk. The only son who was online, he was a prince, royalty, privileged. He's grown up in the palace. He's got everything that he wants surrounding him. I mean, he is living in opulence and luxury. I don't know about anyone else. You know, anyone got a stay-at-home nurse look after their kids? No? Yeah, no, me neither. He goes from being incredibly significant, and there's this one moment. It's not even his fault. He's probably not even aware of what's going on. His nurse scoops him up. She starts running. She trips. Crippled. And as a result, instead of significance, instead of position of power and influence, Mephibosheth drifts into insignificance. He drifts into a place of abandonment where he would never hear from him again. If it wasn't for David... And David's desire to show goodness to anyone left in the entirety of source. If it wasn't David's desire to show goodness, this person would never have been heard of again. He would have drifted out into complete insignificance, completely abandoned, completely rejected, completely dejected. It's funny because if you read in other parts of Scripture and Chronicles where there is, you know, long lists of, of the accounts and the things that we script, you know, sort of skip over in our Bible reading plan, like I don't want to read that that person was the son of this person was the son of this person, I don't blame you, all right? Uh, I find those quite boring. But, but at times, if you dig into that, what you find is that in the lineage of Saul and Jonathan, there is no Mephibosheth. There's a different name. There's a different name, and the name that is listed in Chronicles is Merib Baal. If you know anything about sort of scripture, you know that people in the Old Testament, they're named with significance. Baal being the, the pagan god, okay, that we read about so often in scripture, often put up as the, 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 the one they worship, the golden calf, okay? And so here we have the son of Jonathan is named Merib Baal, which means to contend with Baal. He's been named with so much promise. He's been named with so much destiny in mind. He's been, he's been named as a, a warrior, one that was going to stand and contend for the spiritual destiny of the nation of Israel. He was going to stand against all of what came with, with the pagan God influence on the nation of Israel. He's been named with prophetically as like, you are going to stand against this. And not five years into his life, Something completely disconnected from his responsibility cripples him and immediately disconnects him from his purpose. Immediately disconnects him from the thing that his parents saw on his life as a little baby and said, you are going to be this. And how relevant is that to us? How relevant. You don't have to go too far to ask a parent about the dreams they have for their kids, about the wonder and amazement and destiny that they see in their kids, the skills, the abilities, the desires they have for them to do things of greatness and significance. 
But I don't know how old, maybe not five, maybe five. It's not too long before something in life comes along and hits us from the side and we start believing we are nothing more than what that situation defines us as and we aren't any of those things. No, we're crippled by this or we're crippled by that. And you know, maybe you started out with promise, with potential. Maybe you believe the things that your parents said over you or maybe you grew up in a house where your parents didn't say, those things over you. They said all sorts of other things and it was their words that feel like have crippled you. Maybe you started out in a happy family, a stable home. Maybe you didn't. Maybe, maybe it's just later in life. Maybe you're in your job and you stepped into that job with so much confidence. You're like, I've got this. I'm going to change this place. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's, maybe it's you stepped into a relationship, believing for something. But it hasn't, it hasn't gone that way, and you feel as though something has, has crippled you. You're going to do so well. You had plans to do so well. You were on track. Everything was going so smoothly. Everything was falling into line. And then out of the blue, something crippled you. I know for me, growing up, going through family breakdown, maybe that's your story too. Maybe you're watching online today. You've never set foot in a church. I want to tell you there's hope for you here. There's hope for you. This story speaks of hope, but maybe right now you're feeling hopeless. Maybe right now you're feeling like Mephibosheth where, where the situation has so crippled you that it defines you. Maybe it's that job that you lost, that divorce you went through. Maybe you've lost your business. You started out believing that even that God had called you into this. But somehow along the way, stuff went down that was different to your expectations and now you've lost your business. Maybe you got a diagnosis that you weren't expecting. Or, or worse, maybe you, you suffered things at the hands of people close to you that no one should ever go through. And what's crippled you is something like abuse or trauma. I'm not trying to bring a real dampener on today's service, but this is real life. This is the stuff that, that happens to us along the way. We feel like we're just learning to walk. We're just learning to run. We're just getting started in life. And then, bam, on the side, we don't see it coming. Someone drops us. Half the time, the things that cripple us most aren't even the things that we were responsible for. Because there's a, there's a weird thing in our brains that if we're responsible for it, we can almost justify it and we can work through it. And we can take a level of responsibility and go, okay, I can, I can process that. I'm still hurt. I'm still wounded. But at least there's a way in which I can process it. But when it's somebody else completely and we had no part to play and it just happened to us, well, that wound is a different wound. That crippling is a different crippling because it feels like we have no way out. And we live in the place where this sits on us and defines us and restricts us 
And ultimately, it cripples our capacity to move forward in the life that God destines us to live. I wonder what has life thrown you? (laughs) I think we would all have a story. I don't think any of us get through life without taking hits. I don't think any of us get through. Maybe, maybe, Maybe some of the hits are on different scales, and that's okay. We're not here to compare hits, okay? It's not like the Big Bash League, like which six went the longest? I don't know. We're not here to compare that. What we are here to do is acknowledge collectively that this place is as much a triage ward for wounded humanity as it is as a place where we get our mission before we go out to rescue others. I'm here to remind you that you're not called to get to a place of complete health before you take a hold of the mission. It's a both and. We come in, we get patched up, we get healed a little bit more. It's a step-by-step journey, but we don't stay in expecting like, well, I'm just going to stay here until I'm perfectly healthy and happy. And, and no, 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 no. We step in, we receive levels of healing. We walk that out with Christ in our day-to-day life on mission for him and with him. We are both a hospital and a rallying point for the mission of God. That's what the house of God is. That's what the community of believers is. We stand arm in arm with each other when we feel as though we're crippled that we can't walk. We bring people to the place where they can receive healing so that we can go out and bring others to the place where we found our healing. Maybe you're here today and you're like, oh, you know what? Actually, I had a fantastic family. And my, my dream is that that would be the language of the church, that we would build families of strength, of love, that we would build marriages of strength and commitment, okay, that we would be raising a generation that knows what it is to grow up in a stable, safe home, a home that believes in their kids, a home that raises their kids, disciples their kids, speaks potential and life, speaks the destiny of God over their kids. I'm telling you, if you're a teenager or a young adult in this place, you have the capacity to begin that in your life. If it wasn't there for you, you are the starting point of the next generation of raising up and and, and growing houses and homes and marriages that are stable and built on the word of God and raising up a new generation that knows what it is to be projected from a launch pad way higher than what some of us ever stepped off of. Come on. That's my dream. But let's not convince ourselves that if we get there, then this story doesn't relate to us anymore because, well, we're not, you know, we're not, we don't suffer the same crippling things that, you know, we, maybe we did in previous generations. Can, can I just... We need to understand that there is a a, a blanket crippling that we all deal with, and that's sin. Can Can we just acknowledge that for a moment? That as good as we think we are, we are still wrestling with the reality of sin. And if we're honest, it cripples us. It cripples our capacity to live. It cripples our confidence. It injects shame into our thinking. 
Sin, like nothing else, has a crippling effect on humanity. Here's the funny thing, is that we as human beings were created as royalty. You want to relate this story to something? We can relate it to those moments in your life, absolutely. But do you want to know what this story speaks of? This story is a foreshadowing of the far bigger story of God's salvation of mankind. Because we, humanity, are the, are the, are the child birthed in the garden for royalty. We were destined to rule on this earth. Our, our, our destiny was royalty. Our destiny was to rule in the place of a king. That was our destiny but what crippled us was sin and maybe you don't like that word maybe you're not used to that word well I'm here to tell you today I will say it as clear as I can sin is anything that murks the image of God we are made in his image and anything we do say or think any attitude we carry that is anything like just even off of the perfect holy image of God is sin. Let's not minimize that thing to a certain behavior. Let's not minimize sin to this list of things that I dealt with the first year I was in church because, you know, I don't say swear words out loud anymore. I only say them in my head. Or I don't think those things about other people uh, 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 as much as I used to. Or, you know, no, 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 no. If we minimize sin, we minimize the grace of God. If we minimize sin, you take the cross and you make it about this big. And as we lead up to Easter, I'm telling you, I am going to make the cross as big as it needs to be in your life for you to realize its significance because it doesn't matter how little or how big the sin you think you might have in your life. I'm telling you, it separates you from God. And without the cross, it doesn't matter if it's a tiny thing that you think or a big thing that you think. Sin itself is completely separating you from the love of God. And so as big as that gap is, is as big as the cross was. And I don't want to be a church that minimizes sin. Because if we do that, we minimize the grace, we minimize the cross. And I'm telling you, we should be able to look at the size of sin in our lives and go, yep, it's pretty big. But the cross is bigger. His grace is bigger. His grace is more than enough. And the truth is, this story that we read about, Mephibosheth and David, this is the story of the gospel playing out for us where David, who is the king, steps into this place that's presenting to us an image of Jesus where he says in that verse that his desire is to show the goodness of God to anyone. Is there anyone left that I can show the goodness of God to? Jesus says in Mark 2, verse 17, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I came to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. David invites Meshibeth. You almost start praying in tongues. If someone wants to give the tongues, I'll pray for you. You start saying Mephibosheth a few times. It'll come. It'll happen. It's all right. But David invites Mephibosheth to the table. And do you know that's exactly what Jesus has done for us? 
You know, we talked a lot about what we were going to call this series. Simo presented a great name. I was all for it. It was Burgers with Jesus. But it got overruled. Despite me entitling the notes for the whole series, Burgers with Jesus, and posting that on our team chat, it got overruled. The name of our series is The Invitation. The Invitation, because every single one of us live lives crippled. Some by circumstance, others, all, sorry, some by circumstance, all of us by sin. We're all walking crippled. Some of us aren't walking, we're so crippled. Some of us have got, got things going on in our lives that, where sin has taken root. Addictions, behaviors, things we can't break free of and it cripples us. It cripples our confidence. It speaks to our identity. It tries to define us in certain ways. We're crippled by the activity of sin in the world. And Jesus is looking out going, is there anyone that I can show the goodness of God to? Come, come to me, all you who are weary. Come, come and sit at the table. The invitation to you today, it's not a once-off invitation. It's not just for that moment of salvation, although I'm telling you that is available today. The first time invitation is available for you today. But that invitation is an everyday invitation. The invitation every day to come to the table and eat with Jesus. That's a great image. David presents us with a beautiful image. Beautiful language. Where David says that from now on, you will be like a son to the king. Is that not the language of the gospel? Where we've been adopted into the family of God. Where we have been born again as sons and daughters of the most high king. And we sit at the table as sons and daughters. But you know, we can... We can get caught up in this language and not really know how that translates to our life. For many of you here today, you're living post that invitation, that first invitation. But do you know that you're supposed to keep living at the table with Jesus? You're supposed to keep living in the eternal space of that invitation. You're supposed to remain at the table. You're not supposed to get up and walk away. You're supposed to live in relationship with Jesus in such a way that it is as if you are seated at a table, sharing a meal. We see all the way through Jesus' ministry, his number one uh, way of operating is I'm going to sit with people around a table. Why? Because he is presenting to us what a relationship with him and what a life after the cross looks like for us. We live every day, every moment seated at the table with Jesus. That's our life now. That is the beauty of it, fully restored Maybe someone had to carry you to the table. It doesn't matter how you got there. Right now, you're seated at the table with Jesus. Well, sometimes that's a little, what does that even mean? It's great language, it's a great picture. What does that mean? I think we can learn a lot from that image when we ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to sit across the table from a friend? What does it look like for us to gather around a table, invite someone over to dinner and sit and be with them? What does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like there's a level of intentionality in that moment. It's a created space to connect. It's a space where we're welcome as we are. Who knows that when you're having a meal with a close friend, you don't have to put on a facade. You just get to be you. 
You just get to come to the table. We kind of like all your mess and the crazy kids that are, you know, doing whatever they're doing. And it doesn't matter. You're welcome. You're welcome as you are to come and to sit with Jesus at a table that he has prepared, that he has presented with us with all of this sustenance for our lives, every single thing that we need to live a life of godliness. He's laid out as this banquet for us to enjoy. A banquet for us to eat, for our soul to eat of peace and joy and all of these things. To sit in a place of intimacy, vulnerability, real connection, where there is conversation, where there is sharing and listening. Actually enjoying each other's company, having fun, laughing together. It's personal, it's positive, it's a friendship. satisfying on many levels. And this is what we've been invited into. Not just a few practices. Not just I'm reading my Bible. Not just I'm praying through a a prayer list. We haven't been invited to practices. We've been invited to a beautiful, real, sit-down meal with our Savior. And that to be at the core of our life. Everything that we do, I mean, we've just preached two weeks where you probably got more passion from me than you might get for a while, or I'll be honest, because I'm passionate about people living on purpose. But if all we do is the things that we should do for God, and we forget that we preach the foundation of anything, is that we are called to be with him, if we miss the significance of the foundation, if we, if we don't realize that the foundation we build permeates every other level, that, we're, that, that if our foundation is poor, even when we come into community, there's going to be something lacking in terms of what we come in with because we're disconnected from him. This is his body. And that when we try to be for him and do things for him, but we're disconnected from him, it doesn't work. It uses a lot of energy and doesn't get any results. It's a quick, quick path to burnout. Do you know the first thing? I don't know if we can go back to that Mark scripture, Mark 2. Can we go back to that Mark 2 scripture? Is that right? Look at this, look at this. I've come to say it. Call. I've come to call. You know, you think we've moved on. We haven't. This might be a new series. We haven't moved. We're still working on what we have been called to. And this whole series, we're going to unpack what does it actually mean to be called to live our life out of the abundance of the table with Jesus. Because I think for some of us, We've been living disconnected from that space, trying with all our heart to do things for him, live a life for him. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. I should adjust that behavior. I should. Let me tell you. Oh, I don't want to preach Jess's message. She's going to preach a few. She's going to preach in a few weeks. She might even use the keys. But you know what? In that story, we're not told what changed his heart. We just know what happened at the table. We just know what happened when he sat and connected with Jesus. 
We go looking for all these programs and steps and we miss the fact that we're supposed to stop and sit and just be with Jesus and just let him minister to us. Imagine Mephibosheth. And this is where I'm going to land, I promise you. But Mephibosheth, right, he lives in a day and age where if a new king takes a throne, it's fairly standard practice that you just obliterate every single member of the opposing royal family, right? Like that's, that's how it works. It's like, well, I'm king now. I'm going to kill all of you so you can't come back and try to take the throne. And Mephibosheth gets an invitation from David. Hey, come to my place. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, little Red Riding Hood. I'm definitely not going to do that. Oh, it's cool. I'll just, I'm, the, I'm the lone surviving member of Saul's family and the new king invites me over for dinner. Oh, I was going to say then, I should not say that. Um, I'm like, that meal's going to go real well. You imagine the fear, the dread that Mephibosheth is feeling. Imagine, he's like, he's like I mean, he's not, is he? Because he's not walking, but like he's, he's crippled. So he's, someone's carrying him in, but you get like that, the, the posture, nerves, anxious, scared. Scared to come to David. Thinks he's going to get punished. Thinks he's going to be killed. Thinks he's going to receive a punishment for who he is. Do you want to know what stops most of us being real with Jesus? We're scared. We're scared that he will reject us because of what's really under the surface. We're scared that he'll punish us for the sin in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that every part of the punishment for sin fell on Jesus. There is absolutely no punishment remaining for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. John, John puts it better than I can. He says this. He says, such love has no fear. If we could just get the true understanding, if Paul says we never will, it was fun trying, of the love of God, how wide, how deep, the breadth of it. He says, because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows... I'm sorry, I didn't write this. So if this is reading your mail, I apologize. Not really. If this, this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. You know what? I was in church for decades before I fully experienced the love of God. Like at a, at a level that changed me. At a level that shook me, if you will put me in a position of undeniability that there is a God who loves me. I had such a journey beyond that, but at that moment, I experienced something that changed my life forever. The perfect love of a father who just wants to bring us back to the table of beauty and abundance and peace and joy. He just wants you to sit with him and receive from him. He has prepared a table for us 
whether it's in the midst of your enemies, it doesn't matter, whatever is going on around you, he is here today to meet with you. The question is, will you meet with him? Thanks for listening. If today's message really spoke to you and you would like to talk to someone about it, why don't you head to our website, c3churchvictory.org.au to connect with our team. You can also find us and reach out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and the YouVersion Bible Reading app. We'll see you next week.